Wonderful. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Oh, you have started my Christmas for 35 years, I think, and I just love seeing you. It's so good to be here. Thank you. Thank you for your support for so many years, for all of your prayers, and especially if you were in Sunday school with us this morning, I really appreciate the prayers that were offered last week. That meant the world to me, and I am so grateful to be here. I can't hardly stand it. Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Jesus, and yet today we have a passage of Scripture that occurs two days before the crucifixion. Now, why would I do this? By the time we get to the passage we're going to read this morning, Jesus has just about had it with most of you. I mean, that's just the truth. He feeds people and everybody gets angry. He heals a withered hand, everybody gets angry. He gives somebody their sight back, people get angry. Every time he turns around, he does something good and it's misinterpreted and people get bent out of shape. And with that as our background, listen to what he's got to say to you this morning, this close to Christmas. When the Son of Man comes as the King, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne, and the people of the nations will be gathered before him. Then he will divide them into two groups, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the righteous people at his right hand and the others at his left, and the King will say to the people at the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, come and possess the kingdom which has been prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me, thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you received me in your homes. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, basically, Lord, when did we do these things? And the answer is, when you did it unto the least of these. Then Jesus will look at those who are on his left and he'll say to them, Away from me, you that are under God's curse, away to eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you didn't feed me. Thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger, but basically you ignored me. I was naked, but you wouldn't clothe me. I was in prison, you didn't even come take care of me. And they'll answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you that way? And he will answer them, I tell you, When you refuse to help one of the least of these, you refuse to help me. These then will be sent off to eternal punishment, but the righteous will go on to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. How does that make you feel? Say amen. Amen. Isn't that an encouraging way to start the day? Kind of makes you think about the time you walk past that guy ringing the bell, and you got out of your car and, oh, he's there ringing the bell. I'll go in the side door. You both fought for that same parking space, didn't you? And you didn't get it. And I know what you thought. You watch television about what happens when they have a big sale. My goodness. Whatever they call the day after Thanksgiving, that big thing. People get in fights about that. Just fighting to get one more thing. Thanksgiving's the day we give thanks for everything so that the next day we can go buy more stuff. If we listen to this passage of scripture, it can be really depressing if we focus on ourselves. So today, instead of our worrying about who we've walked past and who we've been rude to and and our own attitude about things, let's listen instead to the people that Jesus calls the least of these and the message that they have for you today. Back in the early 70s, a country called East Pakistan changed its name to Bangladesh. They had a horrible war. The country was devastated, absolutely blown to oblivion 
barely a building standing, and yet with so much optimism, did you know one of the first things the government of Bangladesh did is they printed these huge posters. And the poster showed these beautiful rice fields, and the poster honestly said, discover Bangladesh before the tourist. They just knew the world was coming. They were blown to pieces, but here comes the world. So to get ready for it, the government sent army trucks into Dhaka, the capital city of Bangladesh. They rounded up 44,000 refugees, put them in army trucks, drove 10 miles out of town, and dumped them on a flat field that was one square mile. And behind a fence, they put 44,000 people, and they gave them to you, and they drove away. Did you know that happened? They gave them to Presbyterians. And we looked at 44,000 people. And the first question is, how do you feed 44,000 people who are stuffed behind a fence in one square mile? And the answer is, you can't. It cannot be done. So a lot of people, little bitty and very old, fell off the earth at that time. We put a rope down the middle of the camp. If you're on this side, you were fed one day. If you're on this side, you're fed the next day. I still have the photograph. It changed my life. A little boy has his loaf of bread. That's it. That is all that child has. And that little boy took that loaf of bread and he broke it and he passed his hand through the ropes and put half of it in the hand of a stranger. Do you remember the the old Ford Bronco that we thought was cool back in the 70s? The square one, you know what I'm talking about? Shake your head. So good. You can still see him. I saw one two days ago in North Georgia. Oh, Dr. Johnny Miller, one of your pediatrician missionaries, bought one in South Africa and drove it all the way to Zaire, that's now called the Congo, and we used it for everything. Peggy Rambo was a missionary wife, and she did clinics, and she would do clinics out of this Ford Bronco. She'd put a footlocker in the back of the thing, drive out into the bush, and she came to a clearing where they'd, they'd split some logs in half to make benches, and there were about 15 African mothers with their little babies sitting on the bench. I thought of you when I saw this. She got out of the car, and greeting people in the Congo is a big, ornate deal. Moyo, malokai, malomimpe, eh, and everybody giggles and laughs. Peggy said it was wonderful. She started at one end, and she examined each little child. Some needed to be weighed. Some needed immunizations. Some maybe needed some medicine. Some children were not doing well. And she said she did fine, and she did all of that. And then she closed everything up, and as she was about to go, she turned around to these beautiful African mothers, And she said this, we don't have enough money to buy the gasoline to keep all of these clinics open. And we've had to make some hard decisions. And I'm afraid we're closing this clinic and I can never come back. Peggy says she looked at 15 horrified African mothers and she did all right. She turned around to the truck and opened the door. She said she did fine. She got in and she did fine. She started the engine and she was okay. Then she pulled out and was heading down this dirt road. And she did fine till she looked in the rearview mirror. And running behind her in this cloud of dust is a young African mother clutching her baby like a football and screaming, If you leave, my baby will die. And she had to drive on go to Korea, I have a title. I don't know if you know this about me. In, in Korea, I introduce myself by saying, 
which basically means I am the most honorable, reverend, smart horse in water. (laughs) Everybody bows. They're very polite. It's, It's a beautiful title. It means the world to me. But it means if I go visit one of your hospitals, I have to go first in the parade since I'm their honored guest. Well, if I go to the hospital and I've never been there before, how do I know where to go? Well, you can't say that. Somebody will get embarrassed. So I made up my mind a long time ago when I have to do this, I would start at the top and just work my way down to the bottom. And the parade is all the medical directors, all the administration, all the heads of the nursing departments, and everybody's in the great parade and we go through the hospital and I smile and bow a lot and everybody smiles and bows a lot and we end up in the basement and the hospital administrator says, we have something very special for you. I thought, oh, what an honor. What is this? They take me into a room, and in the room there are two people. There's a nurse in her beautiful nursing costume, and there's a little boy about this tall. And they say to me, the little boy can neither hear nor speak. The young woman is not a nurse. She's a speech pathologist. She's been teaching this little boy to talk by feeling the vibrations in his throat. And he wants to say his first two public words to you. Oh my goodness. We all stand there and the little boy's holding on to the speech pathologist. He's scared to death. He lets go and he stands at attention and he looks at me and he goes, Anyun Hashem Nika Moksanim. And then he bowed. And that basically means, how you doing preacher? And he stood back up again and then he just burst into crying. Buried his face into this girl's lap and she burst into crying. Before you know it, we all stood there just weeping, having heard two such beautiful, beautiful words. If you go to Fayette, Haiti, remember this. See the aisle? The people of Fayette, Haiti drank their water from a stream that was half the width of this aisle. That means it's about this deep. All the animals used it too for everything. So the people of Fayette, Haiti are just horribly sick all the time. So we went by to visit the village and said, hey, why don't we put in a well and let's put in some clean water. And the witch doctor showed up, the voodoo priest. He's called a hunang. The voodoo priest showed up and he goes, no, I control this village and you can't do anything here. And by protocol, we have to leave. The voodoo priest controls everything. Another voodoo priest moved into the village Voodoo priest A cut the head off of voodoo priest B, and voodoo priest A went to prison for six months. While he's in prison, a woman shows up at your hospital from the village of Fayette, Haiti. She's desperately ill. She's admitted to the hospital. A couple of things happen. She gets treated, and she responds. She's going to be okay. While she's there, your chaplain leads this woman to Jesus. She renounces voodoo and gives her life to Christ. Hallelujah. Then the voodoo priest shows up at your hospital. And everybody that works there is Christian, but they're scared to death of voodoo. And he says, I will cure that woman. Give her to me. I'm taking her back to the village. And they let her go. The voodoo priest took the woman back to the village and she died. And the impact was incredible because everybody knew. She came to the hospital on her own. They knew she was being treated and she responded. They knew she had given her life to Christ in the hospital. They knew the voodoo priest said he would cure the woman. They knew she died at the hands of the voodoo priest. And they all knew that woman was the mother of the voodoo priest. 
And when he couldn't save his mother's life, everybody in the village goes, well, apparently your power is broken. And if you go to Fayette, Haiti today, oh, there's a well. It's got five spigots. Clean water runs 24-7. 24-7, there's clean water pouring out of that spigot. Right over there is a school for children. It's right next door to where we feed the children. And right over there is a trade school for the grown-ups so they can get an education and a real job. And oh yeah, the voodoo priest is still there. He sits in his house and he pouts. Your history with Brazil, with the Gar- how many Gartrells are here today? Not that many. You're getting fewer and fewer. I do know that. The history of the Gartrells in Brazil is incredible. They will tell you when two rivers do this, that piece of land is valuable. Because that piece of land is where you're going to build a village because two rivers go by and that means the traffic will be strong. And if you go where the two rivers cross, you will find a village called Cotija. We wanted to go there and share the gospel. We couldn't. The mayor would not allow it. See, the village of Kodajah sits with two rivers, lots of traffic. That means they sell two things there. They sell drugs and they sell people in the village of Kodajah. The drug dealer in charge was very successful. Built himself a house as big as this church. Then the next step was he built a house next to his house. And this is where you did your drugs. You could buy them here, go there. It was one-stop shopping. It was incredible. Except one of our Presbyterian Brazilian pastors decided he's not going to let that go. He kept coming back. They'd ask him to leave. He'd keep coming back and they'd tell him he had to go. And then one day, the people of the village of Kodajah watched the drug dealer pack his bags. He took his suitcase and he left and everybody just thought, well, he's going down the river to buy drugs or, or buy little girls. He'll be back. He didn't come back. Gone for a month. A couple of months. People start thinking, well, this guy's gone. Let's take his house. No, he'll come back. He'll kill us all. So they just left everything alone. A year went by. Two years go by. The man doesn't show up. By the third year, many people had forgotten about him. On the fourth year, the drug dealer came back as a Presbyterian minister. And the first thing he did is burn down his own house. And then the second thing he did is burn down the drug house. And then the third thing we did was lay the foundation for a Presbyterian church on that same site. What does the world want to say to you today? The good news from this world is that because of Jesus, because of Jesus, feed, feed just one other person because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, if you don't give to something, do. All I needed was a tank of gas and we could have kept that clinic open and that baby would not have died. Give to something because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, listen to people that are different. They may have something absolutely amazing to say. Because of Jesus, Have hope. If God can take a drug dealer and transform him into a Presbyterian minister, oh my goodness, what can he do with you? You know, I come from a long line of Presbyterian preachers, about 250 years of Presbyterian preachers. And somebody even asked me today, tell me about your boys. You know, one of my sons was a Marine. Didn't make it to general, but he made it to captain. Three tours in Iraq. You remember I went to Iraq with him and went to war with my kid. 
He came back from the war and he goes, Daddy, God has called me to go to seminary. And I thought, that's the coolest thing in the world. So my son went to seminary and I thought, isn't that neat? 250 years of Presbyterian ministers and now my little boy is going to seminary. He got out of seminary, got ordained, got a job. And it just means the world for me to tell you that my son, my little, he was a Marine. And, well, my, Adam is, oh, oh, he's a Methodist. <laughs> Even Methodists wear robes sometimes. When he became an officer in the Marine Corps, I bought him his sword. When that boy became a Methodist, I bought him his robe. And we put our robes on together, as fathers are like to do. You know, we've taken pictures together. It's just, we got shorts on, you know. Father-son thing, and our robes, taking our pictures together. And, you know, I work in jungles, and I usually have a great big knife on me. In the midst of doing all that, I whip out this big knife out of my pocket... And Adam looks at me kind of funny. And I cut a hole in my robe. (laughs) And I gave him this piece of cloth. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sew this piece of cloth into your robe for two reasons. To remind yourself that you come from a long line of preachers. But more than anything else, to remind you always... The heart of the gospel is love. The heart of the gospel is love. Because of Christmas, Christian, feed one other person. Because of Christmas, give. Feel so good. Because of Christmas, listen to someone who's different. Because of Christmas, have hope. If God can transform a Marine into a Methodist. (laughs) Think what he can do with you. God bless you. You stay strong. And God bless America. Merry Christmas and let's pray together. Father, we get so busy this time of the year. Those parking lots are so full. I just want to get in and get this thing and get back out again and the lines drive me crazy. I want to order online. I'm afraid somebody will steal my identity. Oh, Lord, you must be fed up with us. Thank you for loving us in spite of ourselves. Today, in the peacefulness of our hearts, remind us to feed, to give, to listen, and to claim the transforming love that comes only from Jesus Christ our Lord, round whose manger we gather today. Amen.